Welcome to Dr. Doctor, the award-winning radio show and podcast featuring our physician hosts, Dr. Tom McGovern and Dr. Chris Stroud. And this is the show where we and our guests discuss relevant health-related topics and always from an authentically Catholic perspective. Remember, Dr. Doctor is brought to you in part by generous underwriting from CMF Curo. Learn more at mycatholichealthcare.org. Live your Catholic faith in your healthcare with CMF Curo. Today, our guest will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Returning for round three of our popular series on food is Dr. Dave Usher, a family medicine and bariatric medicine physician from Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Today, we'll explore the topic of proteins and myths about the harms of meat. This show Chris, shall be called Busting the Meat Myths. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, talk about meat. Well, you know, first of all, let's talk about Dave. He's one of our most popular guests uh, if we just look at the number of downloads per guest, Dave is one of the record holders. Um, everybody wants to know what he knows, so I can't wait to talk to him again. But tell me, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, listeners, but every one of us eats food. Uh, <laughs> and I think there are few topics that cause more confusion than food. And if we just take the segment of the population that wants to eat well. We want to be healthy, but it's hard to know what that really means. It's 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 hard to know. There's so much information and it isn't clear which of it is good and which of it is not good, which of it is quackery uh, and, and so forth. So it, that's really hard to do. You know, this idea of uh, meat is bad, that we should be eating plant-based diets or more of a plant-based diet. And if you take that to an extreme, maybe you're a vegetarian or a vegan. You know, vegans eat no uh, animal products. And then there's a lot of different kinds of vegans. Some of them are sort of philosophical vegans. I don't want to eat anything that comes from an animal, but I'll eat Dorito chips, you know. <laughs> uh, or some are more, you know, more health-related vegans, and they don't want to eat animal products from from a purely health perspective. And, you know, recently uh, I've seen some articles about pretty prominent NFL football players that are vegans. So they're not eating meat, but you look at them, you know, they're getting plenty of protein. So how are they doing it? So I'm really, I can't wait to listen to Dave and I want to quiz him on this idea of could versus should, you know, could I live without eating meat? Sure. But should I, is there something wrong with, with the meat that we we love to eat, uh, but that could versus should and meat myth busting, I think, should be really informative. So, listeners, you know, draw near and pay close attention to this important guest. And I thought it might be a good idea to kind of back up a little bit and get a big picture on proteins and where mm. do they fit in in the human body. And so, if we start with just about every cell in the human body, you can think of it as a little sack that's enclosed in a little membrane or covering. In the center of it is the nucleus, and then between the nucleus and the, the, the sac that holds it is a space called the cytoplasm. Well, in the nucleus, you have DNA, and what it does is it contains recipes. Recipes for what? Recipes for proteins. <laughs> and so somehow, it seems like magic, it's not. Somehow, at, at various times, the DNA, which is in two strands, will unzip in one area, and then something called RNA will go and attach to that. And DNA and RNA are made up of four-letter alphabets, ACTG for DNA, ACUG for RNA. And they each will only bind to one. A's bind to T's or U's, C's bind to G's. And that's all it is. And so RNA makes a – actually, a, not, it's not exactly a mirror image, but um, an interlocking copy of one side of the DNA – the DNA zips back together. The RNA goes out in the cytoplasm. And on these little guys called ribosomes, mm -hmm. the ribosome makes a protein out of the RNA. And in the RNA alphabet, each group of three letters actually codes for an amino acid, which is the little tiniest building block of a protein. So all proteins are made up of about 20 different amino acids and different sequences. And then they make a spontaneous three-dimensional shape. And some of them are little machines called enzymes, which help things to go faster. But some of them build structure. So, Chris, what are some of the areas of the body where you know proteins are a big and important part? Yeah, well, there's no area that they're not, really. I mean, a protein 
you could argue, I suppose, philosophically, maybe amino acids are the essence of life, right? Because they drive everything. Because from amino acids, as you point out, come proteins. And proteins get the jobs done. So maybe they're energy sources. Maybe they're little factories, as you point out, uh, enzymes. Um, you know, one of our popular guests recently, um, Dr. Kevin Majors, talked about mitochondria and the brain cells. They're little factories that are cranking out uh, proteins and, and other products. But all over the body, proteins are getting the business done uh, of being alive. Without them, we can't survive. And they also form structure. In fact, the most common protein in the human body is one that I am daily taking off of many human bodies. And that protein is collagen. Collagen is everywhere, muscle, cartilage, bone, blood vessels, and skin. So if you think about it, many of us actually wear collagen. It's mm. called leather. <laughs> right. Leather Somebody. is simply cow collagen. Someone else's collagen, yeah. And then, you know, recently we had a show on blood, right, and blood cancers. Well, hemoglobin, uh, which is a protein that carries oxygen around the body, a pretty important function, that's one of the many proteins uh, that are so critical in our day-to-day -day affairs. And, of course, from bodybuilders, we know they like to bulk up on protein to bulk up their muscles. Well, there are proteins there called actin and myosin, and these are important for this little ratchet handle thing at a microscopic level that allows muscles to expand and contract. And of course, there's an important protein, the most common one in the blood, is one that keeps our blood from seeping into all of our tissues. And that protein is called albumin, not mm. to be confused with the white part of a chicken egg. <laughs> <laughs> right. We sometimes give patients albumin in the hospital. If they're leaking their fluid out of their vessels, or maybe they've lost a lot of blood at a hemorrhage, at a surgery, or a trauma, we'll give them albumin into their bloodstream, and that protein will draw fluid into the blood vessels out of the tissues. And without albumin, as you point out, the fluid goes the other way, and it'll leak out of the blood vessels into their tissues. Again, a critical protein in the essence of life and going about living. And like we're doing this episode on, on food, well, some of the enzymes are digestive enzymes. They're made of protein and they break down carbohydrates, amylase does. They break down proteins, one called pepsin, and they break down oils and fats, one called lipase. And then many hormones are proteins, insulin, glucagon, and others. And finally, those little guys that fight infection so well, known as antibodies, more proteins. So we so I think you and I have done a good job of explaining you have to have proteins. <laughs> you can't <laughs> function that yeah, message. <laughs> right. You can't function without proteins. And we make proteins. So do we need to eat them or not? That's going to be a key thing I think that we get uh, from Dave. Do we just make whatever we need or do we need to eat some in order to make some? These and a lot of really other important food-based answers I know are coming your way. So stay tuned, but not before we step away for just a moment and go to our patented medical trivia question. The category, planetary protein sources. What else According could it possibly to the, be? <laughs> <laughs> According to the USDA Food Data Central Database, which of these food crops provides the greatest amount of protein? Ooh. Hint, hint, multiple choice, one of these five. Is it A, corn, B, rice, C, wheat, D, soybeans, or E, barley. And as a bonus, is that more or less than the most abundant protein provided by a farm animal? You'll have to stay on till the end of the show to find out, but we'll be back after the break on Dr. Doctor with Dave Usher, Meat and Protein. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor, and our special guest in this episode is Dr. David Usher. He's been with us so many times, he could probably be an honorary co-host. He's by far one of our most popular guests if we look at numbers of downloads. He founded Reform Medicine way back in 2011. Uh, he's a diplomat of the American Board of Obesity Medicine and the American Board of Family Medicine. And he's the former medical director for the Weight Management Services Department at Mayo, uh, Mayo Clinic in Eau Claire, Wisconsin. He did that for a long time. He's done a lot of things for a lot of people. And we're really glad to have you back with us, Dave, on Dr. Doctor. 
Well, thank you, Chris. It's great to be back. I enjoy every time I come in here. It's really stimulating and just a ton of fun. So I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> you know how so, I know, Dave, that you're a good guest? Because my kids ask me questions about the stuff you talked about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I have I my, my kids' as teachers ask me about stuff that my kids relate to them. Uh, <laughs> so they get everybody gets it. Uh, there's no, there's no getting out of my line of fire. <laughs> well, let's get let's get right to work. Tom and I talked a little bit in the early session uh, about amino acids. What is this idea of an essential amino acid? What does that mean? Well, essential amino acids traditionally are considered essential in the sense that uh, they must be eaten in the diet because uh, for whatever evolutionary reason, the way we have been designed by the creator uh, through the evolutionary process, we don't we can survive better. We can make certain amino acids within our system. Our cells can make them. But there are some uh, amino acids that we just so routinely get from our diet that our systems no longer can produce them. So it's essential that we eat them. Uh, and um, the, the remainder of them uh, can be eaten, but the body can make them if we don't. So they're the amino acids that we simply lack the ability to make ourselves. That's now, can we right. get all those amino acids without eating any animal products? Yes, you can. Uh, in, if you eat foods in the right combinations. There's just, there are a lot of uh, vegetable um, foods that will have certain number of those essential amino acids, but they often they don't have all of them in one food type. So... Uh, combinations of foods will allow you to get, I guess they call it the complete protein, uh, if you put certain plant foods together. And then you can get your essential amino acids from plants. So we, we said at the beginning, there's proteins that we have to have to eat because proteins do all the job of living. Would it be more correct if we said we have to have amino acids, we don't have to have proteins? Is that fair to say? I would say that's exactly right. Yeah, we have to, we have to eat protein in order that we can get those essential amino acids. Because I know I've been guilty of saying to pregnant patients before who want to eat a vegetarian diet, I will say, how are you going to get your protein? I should be saying, how are you going to get your amino acids? So I'll change my, I'll change my questions. So I've read that it takes you know, a huge amount of beans or other non-meat sources to get the same amount of amino acids that you could get from a small amount of beef, chicken, or fish. Is that true? Uh, that can be true. Yes, you can. There's a there's a gradation of uh, foods, and uh, well, how you, how I think about it is how much protein do I get for the calories I'm eating? Yes, Mark, you're, you're going to get it through the obesity doctors' <laughs> lemons <laughs> here a little bit. So yes, um, uh, meat, for example, or actually a fatty fish like salmon probably will get you a lot of protein uh, for calorie. But whitefish actually probably even more. But in any case. So if you vegetables can have a lot of protein per calorie, but you have to get eat a lot of vegetables to get the same amount of protein that you could eat in a very much smaller piece of uh, meat, for example, or an egg. So uh, if you're for, concerned about losing weight and getting enough protein, it's more efficient to get the protein through meat or fish than through vegetables, calorie wise. Is that right? Uh, absolutely, I would I would agree with that. Absolutely, some might not, but I would agree with that. Yeah. So my cardiologist said to me once, and he's been a guest on this show, but we won't name him. He said, <laughs> he said you need to move uh, more towards a plant-based diet. Why would he say that? And what would or would not be the advantages of, of moving away from a, uh, an animal-based to a plant-based diet? Oh, there are lots of arguments uh, both ways, really. There are studies that have been done that show that plant-based diets have certain effects on uh, things like LDL, uh, cholesterol, mm. for example, or total cholesterol numbers. I don't know of uh, great data that would reliably say compared to a, say, for example, a low carbohydrate diet, which is mm. what I would uh, suggest every heart patient should eat. Head to head, I don't think there's any really great data out there that says that a plant-based diet is going to do any better for all those other risk factors besides uh, that LDL cholesterol. 
And so it, this and also, having said that, the, the type of LDL that you're measuring and the way that you measure it, I don't think anybody's fleshed that out particularly and then done a really good trial because there's small LDL that's oxidized and dangerous and there's large fluffy LDL that's less dangerous. Um, and, and I don't know that any studies out there look mm. to that level of detail. Um, well, I mean, that's a great point. It falls into that could versus should. So maybe I could eat a plant-based diet and get all of the essential amino acids. That doesn't necessarily mean I should. Uh, correct. That, uh, that's exactly right. Yes. Yeah, where did the idea come from, Dave, that meat is bad for the heart? Well, that goes back, I think, to at least the diet heart hypothesis, right, that we've talked about before. Yes. Keys and, and, um, and those folks way back in the 50s. And that just kind of was a, an idea that got a lot of momentum, got a lot of um, uh, support both politically and financially, and uh, all the research went that way, looking at those things. Meanwhile, other data was out there to suggest that maybe uh, sugar was a bigger problem, uh, but that kind of got um, stifled a little bit, I guess would be the way to say it, because um, they didn't have the right people uh, telling the story, I guess, at the mm -hmm. time. But, but the data has, has clearly come out uh, now, that sugar is equally uh, dangerous, or probably I would say more dangerous than the cholesterol issue and saturated fats, all that stuff. That I think that's all been debunked. I think I, you know yeah. we used to be egg yolks are bad for you. Well, that's now been proven to be the opposite of true. Although that that um, that, uh, that government pyramid hasn't been modified, has it? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, they keep modifying it, but they don't make it any better. <laughs> and we're going to look different every time it comes next... out, but it's all the same confusing stuff. Yeah. yeah, and we hope to cover the food pyramid in detail the next time we're together after the protein episode. So it, it would be fair to say that among proteins, fats, and carbs, overconsumption of carbs is probably more likely to be responsible for heart disease as far as a, a diet input to heart disease? Uh, yes. In my opinion, there's, there's, I, there's lots of data that shows if you get people on low-carb diet, this has been demonstrated over and over, that when you compare, now again, I have a little bit of a colored lens here because we're talking about weight loss um, context typically, but I don't think this is untrue outside of that. Um, if you get people on a low-carb diet versus uh, an equally caloric or another, the same energy intake yep. of, um, say, a low-fat diet, and you look at their uh, outcomes, the weight loss might be the same, but the low-carb diet is going to have better outcomes with regard to blood pressure, mm -hmm. triglycerides, good cholesterol, C-reactive protein, I think, goes down. Your insulin levels probably go down more. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's lots of other risk factors uh, besides the LDL cholesterol or total cholesterol uh, that get better with a low-carb diet. Interesting. So, Dave, what happens if, um, you know, maybe a well-intended but ill-informed person uh, is not getting the, the proper number of proteins, especially the essential amino acids? What, uh, what happens as a result? Well, if people are deficient in their amino, essential amino acids, they'll, they'll feel lousy. They just won't feel well. Mm -hmm. um, their cognition will be slow. They'll be, their energy will be, will be low. They'll frankly, they'll feel like they're starving. Um, oh. Just, just run down, uh, poor energy. Um, ultimately, you get to these really terrible starvation states, um, which we see on TV, Quarshiorcor and Marasmus, or whatever that term is. I don't use it very often. We don't see it in this country. No, you have the opposite. Um, yeah, so we, have, we have the opposite issues. Um, but I mean, people get really sick and die and they starve mm -hmm. really essentially if they're not getting all the essential amino acids. But long before that happens, people will just feel lousy and their system's telling them uh, that they need to eat something differently in order to feel better. So what percent of our calories should come from proteins and how does that compare to the average patient you see in the weight loss clinic? Uh, that's a wonderful question. The answer is, from my perspective, percentage wise, I would say 30% of protein, maybe 35% of calories should come from protein. Most of the rest of that should come from fat and maybe 10% or, or fewer from carbohydrate. And, but when a patient comes in to your clinic for weight loss, what's the usual percentage in their diets when they start? Uh, you know, we don't honestly formally assess that. We really don't need to. We know it's uh, relative. It's too low. 
<laughs> relative to the carbs that got them there we so know it's it, too low nobody so ever it's comes really in hard to eat too much protein it's very difficult right and so one of the things that happens again in my world is um when you find people who are trying to be critical of or or critique um a low carb diet they'll ref- often refer to it as a high protein diet and mm. the reality is uh we don't instruct our patients to try to eat a high protein diet. And number two, uh, when they do eat what we're recommending for them, uh, it's not high protein at all. It's really about the same amount of protein as they might've eaten before. But what they've done is they've reduced the the carbohydrates. So the percentage of protein goes up, but they're really not eating anymore. Uh, and, And the reality is that most people will eat protein until they're full and satisfied. And that's the beauty of protein. And God made us with this hunger and this satiety reflex, which says, gee, you eat when you're hungry and you stop when you're full, if you're eating the right stuff. Mm-hmm. And and the things that we need are protein and, uh, as we talked about before, kind of essential fatty acids. And you get a certain amount of that. And it's very satisfying. You never overeat it. Nobody ever comes in and says, Doc, all I ate for the past 10 years was steak. And now I'm 400 pounds. Just never happens. I mean, it just doesn't. Dave, uh, at the risk of confusing our listeners, so when we say 60 to 70% of their calories from fat, I think it's fair to say you don't mean go grab a stick of butter and consume it. Um, but but give, a, give listeners an idea. Everybody knows protein. That's going to be meat or beans. That's pretty easy. But when you say fat, what do you mean? Well, if you look at... Um, the, well, first of all, let's start with the math, right? Fat is nine calories per gram versus protein, which is four calories per gram. So if you eat an equal amount of that, you're already getting twice the amount of percentage of calories from fat than you would from protein or more. So if you look at the protein sources that are out there that we really are drawn to naturally, uh, you, you're talking about meat, you're talking about fish, you're talking about poultry, pork, eggs, uh, all of those things come with a certain amount of fat uh, built into them. And so you're getting that fat along with your protein. And that's, the, the, to the largest extent, that's where mostly um, people will get those uh, that energy from fat. Are there some protein sources that are less healthy? Um, for instance, I'm thinking Americans love to grill meat. And we've heard that there might be dangers of grilling meat on barbecue. What should we know about that, Dave? There's a, a reaction called the Maillard reaction, um, and and that is known. Uh, basically, it the best way to describe it is it's it's like you're aging the meat so rapidly, and it's there is a uh, that reaction creates some things which can be um, carcinogenic or cancer causing uh, if you consume too many of them. It increases. I imagine it's linear. So the risk goes up the more you eat. So my advice around that would be basically, you know, if you want to sear your meat quickly on the outside and get a little, you know, seal in the juices and so forth, then I tell people to turn the, turn the grill down uh, and eat your stuff. I like mine medium rare, um, but don't overcook it and certainly don't char it on the outside because that's where all of that uh, black stuff comes from. Hmm. Um, it's like eating charcoal in a way. So that's where the danger is, the stuff that makes the black marks. So if you're cooking it slowly or even if you scrape that stuff off, are you getting rid of a lot of those cancer-causing chemicals? If you don't get to the point where you're getting that level of um, browning and charring, yes, that would be a better thing to do. Um, With regard to scraping it off, I have a feeling, I don't know if that's been studied. I certainly haven't seen any data on it. But... uh, intuitively i would say if if you get that black stuff off there then you would be better off than so do you ever grill steaks dave oh yes i do what temperature (laughs) um well i put them on i have the heat on high i get the grill highest possible and then i throw my steaks on for i'm going to say about 30 seconds on each side and then i turn the heat way down to oh let's say about 40 percent of whatever the number is i don't know what the temperature is to be honest Mm -hmm. i just do it by feel instinct repetition we're at the risk of sounding like a foodie cooking show Uh, (laughs) (laughs) why not we haven't done that angle yet Uh, right yeah my 13 year old is a foodie the worst there is 
Well, then we'll have a boy or girl. Ah, uh, boy. Well, we'll have him on for another episode. See if he can he can up uh, d- do one up on dad. So, Dave, what are the the sources of protein that you recommend to your patients? Uh, the the source of protein I recommend. I th- this is a, my own bias again. Um, I always include eggs right off the bat because number one, that's the one where the worst level of bias uh, is aligned against a really good nutritious thing. And so I'll talk about eggs. Um, a lot of the times people will ask, well, what am I supposed to eat for breakfast? You know, because all they can think of is bagels and toast and cereal and, yeah. you know, and yogurt and all these sugar laden things. So we talk about eggs and they'll say, well, aren't eggs bad for you? No, they're not bad for you. And I'll, I'll just tell them, look, what inside that little egg is all the nutrition it takes in three weeks to create this completely functional little being with skin and nervous system and bones and blood cells and all the things it needs to peck its way out of its shell. That's got to be nearly perfect nutrition, doesn't it? Um, so so I start with that. And then um, then basically it's kind of the, the things that you like. What do you like? Well, I love chicken. I love, okay, great. Eat that. Go with that. Um, when it comes to those high protein sources, it's the ones that they'll eat. I don't, if they won't eat it, I, there's no sense in me uh, encouraging them too much, at least at the outset. Now I encourage people to try a little variety after a while, but basically, um, you know, all of those animal sources I think are fine. Um, I don't tell people to eat pure animal fat, but nobody ever does. Um, they will now bacon is, that's an interesting one. There's, probably healthier forms of bacon than others. But again, I would rather have you, I'd rather have you eat the cheapest bacon. This is going to get me in trouble. I'd rather have you eat the cheapest <laughs> bacon than that bagel sitting there because uh-huh. all the little microscopic things that might be wrong with that bacon, potentially increasing your risk because it's got some preservative or something in it. Maybe that'll cause you health problems. I can promise you that bagel day after day after day after day is going to, give you problems because you know? of the sugar yeah this yeah and the starch yeah. which is sugar effectively but yeah so um so you know high quality stuff is fine i don't encourage people to go organic i don't think you need to do that um i don't think you need to use protein shakes although some people do so it's you know whatever whole foods uh, as best you can and and try yeah. not to overcook them and put butter on them if that makes them taste better we're going to take a break because we need to for the show but we're going to be back and continue this fascinating conversation here on dr doctor well welcome back to dr doctor and our special guest dr dave usher coming back to us talking about myths of meats uh and so a question i have for you dave is a lot of my patients want to eat plant-based diets whether they're vegan or vegetarian but they want to eat plant-based diets and they assure me that they're getting plenty of protein. But my question is kind of a math one. And that is, are they inadvertently eating a high carbohydrate diet in order to get the appropriate amount of essential amino acids without eating meat? There's actually a question within a question there, Chris, <laughs> uh, which is, well, so to answer the first question, um, can you get, are you by definition eating a high carb diet? Yes. I have to say um, almost assuredly so. If you just look at the carb content compared to the protein content uh, in plants, generally. Having said that, the second question is, and is that bad for my patient? Mm. You know, and and the answer there comes down to that depends on the patient and uh, kind of looking at their metabolic status, their overall mm. body weight, their blood pressure, and, sure. and triglycerides, HDL, all that stuff. Some people handle those kind of diets very, very well, uh, and they they manage their eating behavior and they every and they exercise and they're fit and that's that's fantastic and mm-hmm. I don't have I would have no place to go with that other than well great it's working for you awesome you know yeah. uh, you look well um, but then you get some of our patients who come in for our weight loss program and they say they're eating all plant based diet but it's right. all the wrong stuff right and and when you put them on a on a low carb diet they actually build muscle mass quickly because they've just been undernourished and so forth. So, um, so I don't know if that 
I hope that hits on the answer, the, the question you were looking for. But yeah, I think it's real possible to get all the protein you need out of plants, but it is by definition yeah. going to be a higher carb situation. Well, I think it gets back to our original discussion at the beginning, what Tom and I had about could versus should. Right. So if, if a patient says, could I be healthy on a plant-based diet? Yes, that doesn't necessarily mean you should. And I maybe I would argue you should not if you're overweight. Uh, and trying to lose weight, that's going to be tricky. I would say that would make it very difficult to lose yeah. weight. Although I would then say I know um, university experts who will talk about some of their um, exceptional patients who don't do the low carb thing necessarily, or they don't they do um, they do keto, which is very low carb, without eating meat. Uh, uh, ketotarian diets uh, or keto vegan diets. So mm. I know it's possible. I think it's just complicated and a yeah. lot of work and very, very, I mean, low carb is countercultural enough um, <laughs> to go the opposite direction. Um, I think it would even be more so, but for some people it works. Yeah. Thank you. Great point. Okay, Dave, back to my comfort zone in meat. So okay. <laughs> I've, I've, read, <laughs> I've read that, you know, you are what your meat is eats and that it's much healthier to eat grass-fed beef. And for instance, our family every year gets a side of beef from a cow and it mostly is grass, but the last month or so it's augmented with grain. And so it's got that nice marbling with fat and just tastes marvelous. What do you know about any potential dangers of eating beef that's been augmented by eating grain versus beef that's only eaten grass? Well, my my sense is this, and there, um, I haven't studied this one very carefully, again, for the reasons we talked about previously, which is if I can get you to eat beef instead of that bag of Cheetos, <laughs> yes. you're going to be way healthier. I don't care where, what the cow ate. Um, so, uh, but intuitively, I just think to myself that the, the reason probably for people thinking that is that uh, the, just like human beings, if you load us up on uh, high starch con containing um, food items, we will get fat. And that's what the cow does. And and traditionally, fat has been the place where if there are uh, toxins, things like that, that get metabolized by the cow, they the fat will be the place that those would get stored. So you'd be more inclined uh, to pick up some of those things uh, from a marblier or a fatter sure. animal than you would if it was uh, not so much uh, fed grain as grass. So we're really not eating grain when we're eating those grain-fed animals. We're just eating them with a little more fat. That's exactly, well, that's exactly how I describe it to my patients. That's right. Yeah, the Perfect. Grain. Unless you're eating the, the cow's stomach with grain still in it, you're not eating the grain. <laughs> you're, eating, you're eating the cow. Yeah. And what that grain did to that cow, which is what it will do to you if you eat it. So, um, so enjoy the cow, but let the... Okay, well, let's um, go to something yeah. that's probably easier for you to figure out the answer to. What about the humble American hot dog? What place does that have in a healthy diet? <laughs> the humble American hot dog. Well, how humble is it? There's, there's probably a a uh, a chasm between the healthiness of a you know an all beef hot dog with no preservatives that um, is produced and costs a dollar or two each versus the one where you can get a pack of uh, eight or of 10 or 12 for a dollar 29. Mm -hmm. um, I would say that right off there's a, a water content, fat content, uh, the amount of stuff they have to add to uh, get it to taste better. Mm -hmm. uh, I think all of those things should be taken into consideration. By the way, I'm, I'm not an anti, uh, you know, the whole preservative argument and all that. I think the more chemicals and processing we do to our food, the worse off we are. Um, and so so everything, that, the more whole you can eat it, the better off you are. So hot dogs, by definition, are, are processed foods. Uh, but again, a, hot dog, a processed hot dog is better than a processed uh, bowl of uh, Rice Krispies, for example. You know, or crisp rice, if we don't want to use the brand name. And as you, pointed, like as you pointed out, you, you come at this discussion, rightfully so, from an obesity perspective, because that's how you make your living, helping people fight uh, fight obesity. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's grades of evil, isn't it? I mean, if they're eating, right. you're talking about bagels would be evil compared to the hot dog. It's all relative. But in, right. in, as you point out, in the perfect world, we wouldn't be eating processed foods and hot dogs are 
very processed. Even when you make them really good, like you guys in Wisconsin do, and you call them brats. Ah, um, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're very good so, up here. So, Dave, you're in the dairy state, and right. the main proteins in milk products are cassian and whey. And I've read some really negative stuff about cassian. Is it bad to eat cheese, or is cheese a good source of protein? And is it one you recommend to your patients? Uh, I've seen that whole casein uh, thing out there. I have a hard time finding any real solid evidence that it's a bad thing for you, uh, really. Well, um, I think you referenced a study, um, Tom, that really left me scratching my head. They were <laughs> um, at once they were talking about diseases caused by this rapid metabolism of stuff and causing, you know, your surge of blood sugar or whatever. And then they talked about how this casein, though, just sits in there and takes a very long time to metabolize. So I don't understand exactly what the argument was in that study. Um, but I don't have a I I don't have any problem with casein or whey products generally. Uh, whey gets um, up has a faster uptake. Uh, a little bit. And so, um, but whey protein is felt to be one of the best for increasing protein synthesis and therefore what we call the thermic effect of food. If you eat whey protein uh, versus other types of protein, it might be one of the best at getting us to uh, burn energy and actually build, build proteins throughout the system, not necessarily muscle, uh, but the proteins that we need in order to uh, survive every day. So cheese is on the diet for your patients. We do. We will allow them cheese, but in limited amounts. This is um, pro cheese is not very high in protein to calorie on that protein to calorie scale, and ultimately, uh, cheese is yummy. Um, <laughs> the, the argument, I think, that casein or somehow cheese was addictive. Uh, I think there's merit in that. In that, people just really love it. Some people hate cheese, but the people who like it, you know, you can eat a lot of it. But again, I think it gets down to, frankly, you just get full on it and you, you can only eat so much. But there's, in that amount, I think there's a lot of energy, um, which if you're trying to burn fat and you're putting the fat back in the system in the form of cheese, uh, then that's going to slow you down. So we put a, a, a governor on that and keep people from eating too much cheese every day. But a little bit every day, I think, is fine. Well, along those lines, Dave... When we think about protein, we think about a big juicy steak, of course. Um, but what about nuts? A lot is said about nuts and healthy nuts and almonds and the like. Help us understand sort of where nuts fit in, in a healthy, high-protein diet. Uh, the honest answer is on our, pro on our program, we don't allow nuts to start wow. with. Um, and the reason is, again, that protein-to-calorie ratio. Um, yeah. Some nuts are loaded with carbohydrates. Cashews uh, are way off the off the chart with uh, carbs, and then pistachios. When you get down to the other end of it, you're talking about walnuts, for example. Maybe pecans; they're much lower in uh, carb content. However, this is one of those things uh, where people can very easily overeat nuts and really stuff in a lot of energy and replace the fat they're burning uh, with the nuts that they're eating. But I don't think nuts are unhealthy for you, and and I eat a fair amount of them myself, but they're, but they will put that, that energy we store as fat. It's going to replace that as uh, much more readily because of all that fat, fat, healthy fats, really that nuts have in them, but they're, but that energy does go back into the system and then you have to yeah, burn it again. I've noticed, I, I love eating mixed nuts, but I've noticed they're not filling like most other proteins I eat. Why, why don't I get that satiety signal as easily with nuts as with meat. Uh, uh, well, a couple of questions. One is, are you eating the salted variety? Because the salty ones tend to get us going just like salty chips, salty popcorn. <laughs> There's something about that that is... Ah, good point. To eat more. Hmm. Um, but the second part is, there's relatively speaking, there's just not that much protein in nuts. So oh. if you're using that as a protein source, um, you have to scarf a number of them down. Um, but mostly I think they're just really yummy. And so we just, we don't. So then the same answer would anything. probably go with peanut butter, even if the only ingredient is peanuts. Uh, the same concept as far as uh, what I uh, explained to my patients, 
Um, peanuts are okay. They're not the highest source of carbs. They fall somewhere in the middle. Even though peanuts are legumes, we think of them as nuts. They fall somewhere in the middle of that range of between high carb and low carb uh, types of nuts. Uh, but the same principle applies with regard to the fat content and the protein per calorie and so on. They're, they're not that high protein for the amount of calories you're consuming. So uh, just one thing we would steer people away from, at least while they're trying to lose weight. Once they get to a weight maintenance phase, we can put, you know, sprinkle nuts and various things back in as long as they can control the, the, the uh, quantity. Because that, that's more about dietary it being interesting uh, and, and changing. It's not because you're using nuts necessarily as a tool. Is that correct? Yeah, it's more of, it's, I think the problem we have in medicine is that we're uh, scared to talk about foundational, fundamental changes with our patients because we just don't think they can achieve them. Uh -huh. um, but when, when we know for sure what we're talking about, and you can, and in our program, patients demonstrate to themselves that what we said when they did it exactly worked really well. <laughs> so, um, so you rebuild the foundation, the whole thing from the foundation up basically. So you create this foundational approach to um, eating that gets them to a healthier weight and allows them to just stay there. And then, sure. then they can, you know, put the window dressing on from time to time. And then sure. they don't have to worry about walking into Thanksgiving dinner and having a little stuffing because they know they're not going to eat mounds and mounds of it and then come back and eat mounds and mounds tomorrow. They can just enjoy some. And it's really good because that's the only time of year they have it. You know, while we're myth busting, um, you know, how many times have our mothers said to us, you need to eat your vegetables uh, and I'll see patients and they'll say, I'm trying to eat really well. I eat lots and lots of vegetables and, uh -huh. you know, I'm no food expert like you, but it's always tempting to say, why is it you think that's healthy? Right. <laughs> What's, uh, why do we think vegetables are healthy? Are they? And is it okay not to eat them? Uh, that's a really great question. Um, my first I have four kids. Uh, one's out of grad school now, one's out of college, one's in college, and the other 13-year-old is, um, he, he knows things. He thinks he knows things like he's 18, uh, like my college <laughs> kids. But having said that, when my kids come home, my older kids come home for Christmas uh, or holidays, uh, they see how differently we treat my 13-year-old around vegetables compared to when they were little kids. And they just are very uh, indignant, like, we've not, not eating that, you know. <laughs> we've decided, my wife and I, that that's just not a hill we want to die on. Because <laughs> there really isn't anything bad going to happen to him if he doesn't eat that asparagus. Yeah. You know? So, um, so again, uh, if you were just a carnivore and all you ate was uh, meat and meat products and uh, eggs and so forth, I think, I, well, I know you would be perfectly healthy um, doing that without eating vegetable matter at all. And but we've, we've just lost every mother listener. <laughs> I know. Well, let yeah. me reassure the ones that are still listening <laughs> that you don't have to die on every vegetable hill. If you, you uh, put it on the plate and you make it interesting for the kid, and if you like it, you just enjoy it and love it. And if they don't like it now, that's okay. They'll, someday they will. But it, we get back to the could versus should. So yes, you could eat vegetables, but really, from a nutritional standpoint, there's nothing magical about vegetables. There's, and every dietitian I ever worked with wants to kill me when I say this, but I can show them all kinds of evidence of patients who just went vegetable-free and got nothing but healthier. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then I can turn around to show them lots of patients who eat lots of vegetables and their diabetes is out of control. Uh -huh. So it's, you know... Uh, yes, you're right. You Should you eat a little vegetable? I mean, I think you should just make your life interesting and make food interesting. It's yummy. Those are good too. Um, what I would say is I, a, a potato is not a vegetable. It's a right. tuberous root, right? It's a starch. Um, and those are best avoided completely as far as I'm concerned. And those kinds of things that are real starchy. Uh, but vegetable stuff that grows above the ground, yeah, you bet. Most all of that. So are vegetables high protein, high carb? Um, the above ground ones, especially the leafy greens. On a protein per calorie basis, 
uh, leafy greens are very high on a protein per calorie basis. Uh, so, um, but that doesn't mean you're going to get a ton of protein from eating those things necessarily, unless you eat a lot of them, but Got there's it. not, there's not a lot of you know, the leafy greens, for example, there's not a lot of starchy or sugary carbs in there. There's a fair amount of fiber. Um, of course, there's, vegetables all have lots of micronutrients and that's what everybody um, wants to say. You need to have all that um, in your diet. Uh, which is fine, but the critters that we eat also have those vegetable things, and those are in there so, as well. As we're getting close to the end, Dave, I want you to finish off a trifecta here. The first episode we recorded, a healthy thing to avoid would be any uh, drinks that contain sugar, including diet drinks. Last time, your second lesson you had for us after the fat episode was eat fat if you want to be skinny, eat carbs if you want to be fat. What's your piece of advice regarding proteins that you would like to leave? If there was one thing that listeners would either do or not do related to proteins, what would it be? Well, I would say recognize that getting your your essential amino acids is basically as basic a drive as there could be. So eat your protein first, uh, including whole eggs, um, but eat mindfully. And if your weight is a concern... Pay attention to when you start to feel full because that's uh, the good Lord's way of telling you, okay, that's enough. You're satisfied. You can move on. That sounds like good practical advice from Dave Usher, our food expert here on Dr. Doctor. Thanks for being with us again, Dave. And hopefully next time we'll cover carbs in detail. Okay. Sounds great. Thank you, guys. Welcome back to Dr. Doctor and welcome to the answer to this episode's planetary, has nothing to do with the planets around the sun, planetary protein sources. So this is a multiple choice, always a favorite, has to do with the USDA food data central database. Which of these foods, which of these is the food crops that produce the greatest amount of protein, Tom? So on the planet, the whole earth, so is it corn, rice, wheat, soybeans, or barley producing the most grams of protein for consumption? I'll get, now, I, mean, I think it's, it's obvious if you drive around where we live in northern Indiana and what you see planted in the fields, at least you can narrow it down, I think, to corn or soybeans just by driving on the interstate. On, on a global scale, there's about three times as much corn grown uh, as soybeans in terms of tons. But the percent of protein is so much higher in soybeans. So they are 36% protein, where corn is only 9% protein. So soybeans actually, uh, there's more tons of protein, 122 million tons on earth each year compared to 106 for corn, which is actually second behind wheat because wheat has even more percent protein than corn. Wheat's at 109 million tons. So soybeans, number one world source of protein. Now, how does that compare to meat protein? It far outstrips it. So mm. if we took all the cattle, pigs, chickens, sheep, and goats, that adds up to a measly 99 million tons of protein, which is less than the protein produced by soybeans. So soybean is king of the protein hill. Well, it's a very efficient way to generate protein. If you were looking at it from a purely efficiency standpoint, and could you have a cow or could you plant beans, soybeans, you'd get more protein for the buck, so to speak, from the soybeans, wouldn't you? You would. And Chris, enlighten us with your top three takeaways of the episode. Well, what a great episode. Every episode with uh, Dr. Dave Usher is a great episode. Um, but a couple of things. I'd start off with an apology to our mothers. Uh, <laughs> and that is, and that's because the truth is, there's nothing magical about vegetables. Uh, as Dave pointed out, there's micronutrients. We get those uh, from other, other things besides vegetables. They might add some interest to a diet, but maybe fighting with your five-year-old over whether or not they eat broccoli is not the, the nutrition hill to die on, to use his words. There's nothing magical about them. Uh, another important takeaway that I really enjoyed is this idea of nuts. I see a lot of patients who think they're doing great things for themselves by eating nuts, but Dave pointed out that you have to be careful because two things. One, the calorie to sort of mass ratio is tricky. You, you, you get a lot more calories than you do 
proteins when you're when you're eat, or you have to consume a lot of calories to get a lot of protein with nuts and a lot of the best nuts like pistachios he points out are laden with carbohydrates and sugars so we have to be really careful with nuts uh, and then the last thing I think is really important that that he left us with was this breakdown so if we think about our day and our total calorie consumption, about 30% of our calories should come from proteins. And proteins, good proteins are things like meat, fish, poultry, especially whole eggs, the entire egg. Uh, but about 30% of our proteins should come from, excuse me, our calories should come from protein. And somewhere around 55 or 60% of our calories should come from fat. And he, he also pointed out that a lot of those proteins bring the fat with them. So you don't have to think of them as separate topics. Exactly. So practical and so radical for many of our ways of thinking, but it works. Thank you for being with us for this episode of Dr. Doctor, the award-winning official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association. Please share the good news of Dr. Doctor with a friend and invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app. And be sure to rate and review our show as practical and radical, as Tom said. You can find uh, this episode and all of our episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. And be sure to rate and review our show. And even if you like it being called radical and practical, as Tom said, you can find this episode and all of our episodes on our website, drdoctor.org. And of course, be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor. And be sure to check out our website for bonus helpful links. Just click latest at the top of the main page. You can find all kinds of information about our speakers, their books, and other resources. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And this is Dr. Chris Stroud. We're signing off till your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Have a question for our doctors or a topic you'd like to hear about? Call or text your questions to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or fill out the form at drdoctor.org. Tune in for new episodes every Friday and find all our past episodes at drdoctor.org. This show is a production of the Spoke Street Media Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, visit spokestreet.com.